Welcome to the Comfy Living Podcast, where you'll learn how to become a better entrepreneur in the short-term rental space with Airbnb. Listen in as we interview our expert colleagues, Joshua Adeboye and Norman Hamilton, and take advantage of their years of experience that will help you take your rentals to a whole new level. Thank you, everyone, for attending this podcast. This is episode one of the Short-Term Rental Podcast. Here we have a special guest that we are interviewing today, Mr. Joel Eshun, who is a real estate investor who works in the short-term rental space. Joel is also a software engineer in the daytime when he's not working on real estate. He loves to travel, learn about history, and spend time with family. Also would like to note that he is a Brother from another mother, being that he's from Ghana and I'm from Nigeria. I know we debate all the time about who has the best jollof. We're not going to get into those details, but that's neither here nor there. So welcome to the show, Joel. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, definitely a brother from another mother. Uh, I really appreciate you having me on here. I'm glad to discuss things with you for sure. Thanks for having us on the podcast. And we also have my fellow co-host, Norman Hamilton, who is a partner of mine in our company, Comfy Living Arrangements, where we participate in rental arbitrage with multiple units in Houston area. Thanks for joining on the show, Norman. Hey, man, I'm glad to be here and provide value to you guys. And let's get this thing started, man. I'm excited. Let's do it. So we're going to jump right into it. So, Joel, can you talk yeah. about when you got started with short-term rentals? Yeah. So I actually got started uh, like... Two, it's been two years now, a little over two years, 2019. I actually got started in my apartment. <laughs> so it was it was something I wanted to get into. And I was like, man, like this this sounds like it would be a, a great idea. I started uh, YouTubing around and I was like, yeah, let me try to get into this STR space. And so I like had like three trips booked for the year or something like that. I, like, I was going like back home and like two other trips. And I was like, while I'm gone, I'm going to try to put my apartment on a str site and so i did that and it went good it was great like the, the people loved it i i like the satisfaction of it was good i was able to get income while being away and you know not really being active in it so and i didn't even have a team or anything at that time so then from there i ended up acquiring a real estate property and then i'm um, just getting into the space and just using that that stuff so that's how i got started like a little over two years ago nice nice so yeah. like you had the same story as we did where we either use an apartment or in our kitchen we use some type of dormitory in order mm. to get started so just diving real quick about your first time listening on airbnb how did you come up with the furnishings how did you uh decide on what things that you're going to keep in that apartment while you airbnb the first time i did it in the apartment I was like a rookie. I didn't really think too much about it. So I just already had my stuff in there. My space was, it wasn't a lot of things in there, but I did keep a good amount of my personal stuff in my closet. I like put stuff in like one half of it and I looked like half of it open. And I was just like, uh, and I put like a sticker and I was like guest in there. And then like cleared out a cabinet and put guests. And yeah, I just kind of did that. You know, that was kind of like my quote unquote experiment. But then once I actually acquired my property and got into it, 
I spent more time on detail. Like I just kind of looked at the rooms and I was like, where would I stay at? If I was traveling, what would I want to see? And I really wanted to play with colors. So I had like uh, themed rooms um, with different types of colors. So I had a, a, a room that was just like a, a Navy room, like matched all the decor and everything to match that. And I had one that was like gold, white, and green. And then another one that was like um, baby blue and orange, something like that. And then for living room space, I I used Pinterest a lot, surprisingly. And just trying to looking at stuff that just looked nice and I thought that I could stay in. And then what really elevated is really asking people around me. I was like, hey, would you stay here? If they were in town, I would have them like come over and look at the place and be like, hey, would you stay here? Or what do you feel like something's missing? And what really made it pop off was the decor. It wasn't so much the furniture. So like I did get couches and stuff like that. But it was really the decor that made things stand out. Cool, cool. Yeah. That sounds dope, man. And I got to ask, where's this uh, short-term rental located? It's in East Fort Worth. It's down right now, but it w- I should say it was in East Fort Worth. Okay, okay. Yeah. So we'll just get right into it, man. What are your current struggles with getting this listing started? So regulations, of course, just uh, trying to keep up. Airbnb and short-term rental regulations are really fluid right now in certain spaces. And certain spots is really good. And so just trying to keep up with that and being mindful of that. That's one of the big things that's been like a struggle. And then just uh, creating systems and building a team is what I won't say is a struggle, but it's on my next goal to accomplish. And yeah, and just going out there and doing it. Yeah. Sounds good, man. So yeah. so what we'll do is we'll, it sounds like there's two categories that you want to kind of dissect. So I'll mm-hmm. start off with the short-term rental laws okay. and Norma can handle the systems. So looking at your listing, as you've identified, is definitely in uh, the Fort Worth district. So sure. there are certain stipulations around working around Fort Worth. So I guess my first question before I dive into that is that, do you think that you'll be able to legally put your listing on Airbnb? And the one in Fort Worth? Yeah. Oh, I think there's ways that I have to work around. It'll be um, getting approvals and probably licenses. I, I haven't looked too much into it, but I do know that there's there may be a way. Right, right. So, yeah, so, yeah. so I'm glad you brought that up because um, in the city of Fort Worth, you would definitely need to get it on some uh, licenses and pretty much you would need a permit to allow you to Fort Worth. Gotcha. That would be the best opportunity or the best way to go about it is trying to get your licenses in place. Cause you know, I have had colleagues that try to go the underground route and okay. it's just a matter of just when of, you know, when they kind of find out. So the, okay. the best thing is to definitely go, you know, try to be legit as possible. Now, okay. another loophole because there's always loopholes in the systems, right? What yeah. you could do is if you want to abide by the rules legally, you could also do it as a split room model. So you could have someone occupy one of the rooms mm-hmm. and they can kind of be like your boots on the ground, your manager. So you would, mm-hmm. let's say, give a person a fixed amount of monthly rent and they'd be mm-hmm. responsible for you know cleaning up the space and making sure things are tidy. And then you just rent out the other rooms on a short-term rental platform. And that way you can be able to kind of skate through that loophole. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know a couple people, especially those in Seattle that do that model where they'll break it up 
and um, they're just as successful as if they were renting out the whole place. So mm. that's also an opportunity. Another opportunity that kind of came to my mind, just kind of thinking about what you're doing is, mm -hmm. and it's something that Norman and I are really trying to push is direct bookings. The, the, mm. the way to go about this, if you want to rent the whole house is you have to go in a mindset of assume that Airbnb does not exist, right? Mm -hmm. What other platforms could you use that doesn't allow you to be on Airbnb? So by building a brand around this home and build, building a sense of community and a sense, something that is like catching to the eye, you can market it on social media and you can basically be getting people who are booking your place directly to you. Mm -hmm. uh, there's definitely challenges with that because a lot of the software and there really isn't a concrete way of going about doing that. But mm -hmm. I know that there are people out there that are very successful at not even having to rely on Airbnb. They can just put their, let's say, for example, they have their place and they put it on Facebook Marketplace and mm -hmm. they're getting bookings that way. So that's gotcha. also another opportunity that you can kind of take advantage of. I noticed that there's an HOA. Is there an HOA associated? There is. Yeah, there is this HOA. Okay. Now, are they aware of what you're doing? They are aware, but they also are against it, so they don't want it to happen, but they are aware. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I guess my next question is how are you going to work that? So how are you going to launch, yeah. but then like... Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So for, with the HOA, so it, it was weird. So it was a new community. So it was ran by like a third-party HOA who didn't really, wasn't really involved, didn't really care so much. But then a board was established. And when the board was established, they uh, were more strict. They were stricter. So in order to actually implement that, I'd have to get approval from the board. So it, first I have to go through the city. Then after I get city <laughs> approval, then I have to go through the board. And, you know, that's for the e forward. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You got to get on that board, man. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Honestly, that's the hack, man. If you can find yeah. a way to join the board and, you know, just kind of really what you want to do is you want to make it so that the HOA likes you as in mm -hmm. short-term rental house. They don't really care about everybody else. But if you can yeah. prove to them that you have a legitimate business model and you're running it effectively and, for example, you can come to the board and even though you're active on the board, you could be like, well, I'm doing background checks and I'm making sure identifications are being made. And we have cameras outside of the property where we can see who comes in and out of the property. That mm -hmm. sounds more appealing to the board. And what could happen is if you're active about it, they could implement that as a rule in the HOA. So mm -hmm. that's definitely an opportunity. So I'm going to segue to Norman talking about the system side. Yeah, Definitely. Really quick, though, before we get into systems, I just wanted to piggyback off of what Josh said. Also, like, don't sell this as an Airbnb opportunity to the board. You want to sell yourself as a like a host, right? You want to sell your business and rather than selling like, oh, I'm an Airbnb host just because of the stereotypical associations that people make with people who are like listing properties on Airbnb. They're irresponsible. They're allowing parties and whatnot. You know, you want to separate yourself from the crowd and you want to come across as professional as possible. Sound more like you're a business owner and less as a short-term rental uh, host who's strictly on Airbnb. However you can position yourself to be as professional as possible with people, I definitely see that be a plus, especially with um, like property managers who are like, you know, not so keen on Airbnb. It's really about how you sell and position yourself. Mm, yeah, yeah. Th those are all great advice. I definitely would be implementing it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You no. Know, 
No problem. But like Josh said, yeah. let's segue into systems. So I'm just curious, like what systems are you implemented or do you have implemented right now? Like cleaning, uh, like turnover management, like communication. I took a look at your listing and I saw that you had a co-host. Could you talk a little bit about that too? Yeah. So the co-host is actually my girlfriend. So she helps me out a little bit just to keep track of the messages. And then I have a cleaning system. Um, it's a cleaner and she works with her sister. So it's I kind of got like a three for one type of deal. So I just pay her and she just comes with her sisters. So sometimes they rotate. And then I, she kind of also helps me out with the property management a little bit. I don't have a property manager. And then I've been building a, what I've been really trying to implement is like a, a maintenance person and just uh, stream, streamlining that process so I don't have to be so involved in it. Just so I'm hearing this correctly, it's uh, you and your girlfriend. And then for your turnover management, you have a cleaning company, which consists of a team of uh, three people who effectively just take turns cleaning the house. And then when it comes to uh, maintenance, you're still looking around for uh, a maintenance person who can be yeah. uh, dedicated dedicated to the house. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Here's what we've seen. Um, one of the biggest things that helped us personally um, when it comes to being able to like provide extra services or just get like specific services done was like scaling our units. So when we first started, it was relatively like we had cleaners when we first started. But what we noticed was that like we got better results from our cleaners when we hired uh, cleaning managers. And Josh could talk about this, too. So we have a saying in our company where it's like we hire managers and we let our managers manage that particular aspect of the business because it just provides us an opportunity to have something in place that's scalable as we grow the business. Since we've hired our cleaning managers, like we've been able to pick up more units and they've been able, because they're good at managing and they're good at finding the talent per se to actually do like the, the housekeeping and the turnovers, like we've been able to scale and they've been able to grow with us. And like, they're always hitting us up, like, you know, letting us know like, hey, like whenever you get more units, like we're ready. That's definitely been uh, one of the things that's helped us on the cleaning front. When it comes to the maintenance front, like what we've seen is that like if you're doing arbitrage, the benefit of arbitrage is that typically you're you can leverage the property management's maintenance to actually yeah. repair anything that's uh, damaged in the unit for you. And if you have a good relationship with property management, they actually appreciate it because like you're helping make sure that, you know, their property is just staying on point so that when you move out, like there's not that much work that has to be done for the next guest to move in. But like. Yeah. To specific to your particular case, like what we've done and I've done it before is like I've gotten people off of TaskRabbit and um, like I've just developed a relationship with that individual person to the point where like, you know, you either get them off platform or like you can constantly hit them up for work. And Josh and I have also built relationships with uh, like movers or whatnot through our various associations. So like, mm -hmm. you know, we can call them, you know, we can let them know what kind of job we have and we can negotiate a price for that particular job. And in most cases, if they're not free that day, like they'll come through tomorrow. We used a couple people for like setting up five units. They're great. And we met those people just like through like furniture companies, like through TaskRabbit, through just like, you know, sheer networking, putting ourselves out there. So that's what you could do for maintenance. And then what I've seen some larger operators do is once they scale, like they'll have those maintenance people on like a retainer contract to where like they're getting a fixed fee per month. And in, in return for that fixed fee, like these are the services that they're getting, um, mm -hmm. such as like, you know, like typical handyman work. Like like if you have a new construction house, like usually like there isn't that much plumbing work that has to be done unless right. like guests just aren't taking, 
you know, unless guests like utterly trash the property. But like a lot of the work that gets done is handyman work, right? Like, you know, patching things up, painting over scuff marks, maybe something falls down and needs to be replaced. Lights need to get switched, like mm. real just handyman work. So like mm. a hack you can do is you can probably like look into management because management would allow you to scale quickly. Okay. Management would allow you to scale quickly. And then as you scale quickly, you could probably find someone on TaskRabbit. Or like I said, like if you're going to furniture stores, they usually have people who do the move, who do like the moving stuff on a contract. And usually those people are like skilled handymen as well, because like it's just one of those things that kind of comes with the territory. So at your size, what I would do is I probably use TaskRabbit and then like on I would use like management or like other services that are like in the short term rental space to scale. That way, like I have the size and then use like my size as a business as leverage to bring someone on on some kind of like contract, like retainer contract for their services. That's what I would do. And then also when it comes to like getting extra fees, when it pertains to that, you know, there's always the host guarantee. If you're doing direct bookings, you usually have some kind of contract or like you usually have some kind of security deposit. So like essentially like you can protect yourself on the expense side by, you know, when those bad things do happen, you can file the claim with the guests. You know, you can use that money and that money can kind of go towards either the retainer contract or it can go towards like the, the task rabbit job. Like I said, for direct bookings, the security deposits um, and then for other platforms too, like, you know, like HomeAway, Verbo, I don't think they, they don't have host guarantees. They just have liability, but like, you know, liabilities for people get hurt, not um, yeah. like if damage is happening. So like, on those platforms, you can do, we do security deposit on those platforms. Gotcha. Gotcha. You mentioned like TaskRabbit and stuff like that. Have you ever uh, used Facebook market for any of that stuff? Yeah, the same principle applies to Facebook marketplace. Like when we started, we got everything off of like Facebook marketplace, like Craigslist, like yeah. pretty much any type of market where like services or furniture or things were offered. Like we were on there. I do recommend Facebook marketplace. Also, like if you're looking to hire people, like Facebook jobs is a pretty interesting thing you can look at as well. Hmm. You can post things on Facebook jobs and Facebook jobs, like, you know, people will apply. You just got to make sure you're on top of who's applying, you know, and you know, like that's HR work, right? Like you have to vet yeah. everyone, you have to vet everyone. You have to make sure like they can do what they say they can do. That's HR work. And we could have a whole podcast about that too. <laughs> yeah. I was definitely about to ask you, like, how did you build those relationships? How did you all build those relationships with your managers? You mentioned that you guys are finding managers. How did you build those? Yeah. We found them on turnover. Mm. Go ahead, Josh. You about to say something? Yeah. Basically, what Norman stated, yeah, we found them on turnover. What we did was we went in with a specific mindset that we were looking for someone not for the short term, but for the long mm -hmm. term. So mm -hmm. because of where we were at, we would go on turnover BNB. You know, we would go on the task rabbit. We would look at Facebook jobs, but our mindset was, okay, we're looking to hire someone. And if you're good, we want to give you work right away. Because one thing that builds a relationship is how do you bring value to someone else? So if you can show, okay. hey, look, like we want to hire you and we want to pay you today for something small, you know, take that mindset so that you can build a relationship with that person. So that when you really are at a level where you're trying to be, that way you can say you have that relationship that's been built. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. And when we say turnover, we're talking about a turnover BNB. So yeah. turnover BNB is just a marketplace for, for those of you who are listening. It's just a marketplace where you can uh, sign up on and you can find cleaners. You can post your jobs and cleaners will bid for your jobs. And then like, you know, they'll accept the jobs or, or they will deny the jobs. I think it integrates with Airbnb via iCalendar. 
So that's how the uh, jobs are essentially sent over to Turnover BNB, and then you can communicate with the cleaners on Turnover BNB, and it's kind of like a very good management tool. Like if you have one property and you're just, you know, you're not necessarily trying to scale, Turnover BNB is a good place to get started. Some other hosts I know would just get people off of uh, Facebook jobs. Some people are doing really interesting things with that too. I, like I know some people in um, Tennessee, I think they're doing like, they're they're paying them like a fixed price. It's a fixed price, but the price doesn't change regardless of if there's no cleaning that week or if there's a the whole pricing thing when it comes to cleaning is a very interesting thing because I know like there's tons of different models out there and it really depends on how you operate and like your size. Like I know some people are big enough they'll have a full time cleaners and they'll pay those cleaners however many dollars an hour. And that's more beneficial than like paying someone on a per turnover basis just because of like how they manage their operational expenses. When you all were starting, how did y'all uh, streamline that process? How did you manage the cleaners, essentially? How did you tell them what to clean? How did you, like, look after once you once they clean? How did you make sure that the cleaning job was good and things like so, that? So to be real with you, for us, like, we were effectively in the same situation as you. Like, it's like you're drinking from a fire hose, right? Like, it's yeah. just so many things that you've never done before, and you have to literally learn it on the fly. So for mm-hmm. us, like, when we started, we had a checklist. You have to communicate that checklist to the cleaner with like what you expect um, needs to be done and how it needs to be done. And in hindsight, you really need to incentivize your as crazy as it sounds. You need to incentivize your cleaners to not. I don't even like the word cleaners. You need to incentivize your housekeeping managers to do the best job they can do. Right. Like it's the same thing at your day job. Like we get bonuses at the end of a year based on our performance. So it's kind of the same thing too, right? You need to incentivize people to give the best they can give because like a lot of times, like your housekeepers are going to walk in and the place is going to be trash and like they're going to be bummed out, right? Sometimes they're going to walk in and the place is going to be clean. There's an emotional aspect to it. If the last five guests in a row are trashing the place like terribly, like anybody is going to feel bummed out. They're not going to be excited over that. Um, I mean, what we do is things like we'll split like the resolution payouts with them whenever like they, they send us photos of things being damaged and we get that money from the platforms that we get the money from the uh, guests. You know, that's one big thing that I'm sure they like because now they're getting paid more than they expect. Mm. And it's like, if they go in, they're like, you know, they're really excited because if the place is trash, it's like, okay, like, you know, can I find like smoke or anything in here? Because now I'm getting compensated for that. I'm getting compensated even more for that. We'll do like appreciation brunches with them. Like, you know, we'll take them out. We'll like, we'll Mm. pay for them as a, we'll have the company pay for like everyone. Just to show them that, like, hey, we, this would not be possible without you. Like, we're all a team here and we all have things that we have to do for you and for people who are listening. We had a list of what needs to be done, essentially like requirements, very specific requirements. You don't necessarily want to keep things vague. In my opinion, you want to keep things as specific as possible because everyone can't think like you. Um, yeah. So I take, uh, you know, show photos of like, this is what the place needs to look like when it's clean. Like some people are trying to sell an experience and like that experience is affected when like, oh, the designer pillows are on the living room couch versus being on the bed, like in the photos, like they want to sell, they want to sell the photos of the place to the guests. Like I always tell Josh, like if it's not in the photos, it doesn't exist. You want to make sure that you can communicate to the housekeepers that like, hey, this is what the place needs to look like. Here's the list. Here's photos. If there's damage, take photos, take before and after photos of the uh, place. If there's something that needs to be repainted or something needs to be replaced, let me know. Hey, what does inventory look like in the property? Is there anything that needs to be restocked? And then like to take a step back from that, now you're talking a little bit about like operational management, right? Because you need a system to handle, you need a system 
that like includes everything I just said with restocking with like right. claims. And that feeds into what I said about like getting housekeeping managers because mm-hmm. like your managers need to be part of that system. So like you have the cleaners, then you have the managers and then like you need to figure out how do I get all these people to interact and talk to each other. And ideally, the more you go up, the less you want to be involved in that. Cause that's like kind of working in instead of like, you know, working, working on the business. That's why you want to get the managers. You want to put the managers in place. And then you really just want to make sure like you're hitting those KPIs and you involve yourself as needed. I know some hosts who work four hours a week in their business and they do it because they work in the business in the places where they like, but they don't necessarily have to be there. They're going on vacation for like a month and the business will just keep running because they got managers in place with these things in short, like. You want to build out those requirements, but you want to set it up so that you can eventually walk away one day and your managers can run it. Right. Yeah. And from a practical standpoint, what you could also do is uh, just jump on turnover BNB. You have a cleaner so you can integrate your cleaner by showing her how to download the app and, you know, bringing her on as a cleaner. And Mm -hmm. she will be able to, you know, every time there's a guest that's about to check out, she can get notified when the guest is checking out and she can go clean the unit as well as she'll have a calendar of your listing because what you want is you want her to know when she needs to go and clean the unit without you having to actually call her or text her so check out turnover bnb i actually started there that the turnover bnb is really cool i actually started there but i met her and she did a great job so i I had a a backup cleaner and she was from a turnover bnb it's a great platform i was gonna mention too like one of the things I use, because I was struggling to figure out, like, okay, what do I check for in a cleaning? So when you move into an apartment, they give you that list, that checklist, to check to see if there's any damages in the house. So I actually just took that from my old apartment. I made photocopies of it, and I just used that to check all those places and all those things uh, to make sure that after every turnover, um, all those things were how they were or how they're listed in the pictures. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So I think the uh, next thing we can segue into is kind of because uh, I think we kind of covered everything. They're like building a team, like systems. Yeah. But uh, I think the next thing we got to talk about is uh, pricing and tools. Okay. So out of curiosity, what's your philosophy when it comes to pricing and like what tools are you using? So I did uh, dabble a little bit with AirDNA. In the beginning, I was just kind of going based off what's in my neighborhood. Then I started to really look at like what's in my neighborhood and what's like my property. But AirDNA is one tool that I have used. I've heard of uh, many tools since then. Um, I haven't got a chance to dabble in them, but um, what tools do you all use? Pricing for me seems like there is a science aspect to it, but at this stage in the game, I kind of think it's an art because, you know, I've been in the chat rooms. I've been everywhere. People Mm -hmm. like AirDNA. People hate AirDNA. People Mm -hmm. don't like data-driven pricing tools just because you're having a computer price versus like individual niches that are going on mm. in your city. So we used to use Price Labs. And when we started, Price Labs was great. Price Labs was getting us booked. But mm-hmm. what we saw was that we were making more money when we were like pricing the units ourselves. Mm. And like this was because like we were more tapped in with our market compared to Price Labs. Don't get me wrong, like Price Labs will take the work off your lap. Like it's a very good pricing tool. And I'm sure there's ways around it, such as like setting minimum prices and whatnot. We just found that it was pricing too low and that we can make more uh, money through pricing ourselves. So, I mean, gotcha. you'll, you'll probably hear this word a lot. What we use is uh, incentivized pricing. And that's really mm-hmm. just 
set a high base price and just apply discounts based off of the uh, length of stay. So if someone stays like two days, 40% off, you know, three days, 50% off, like I said, have a high base price. I'm just giving you like examples, but depending on your market, you may not necessarily give like 50% off. But um, to go back a little bit, like you, most people don't have access to incentivized pricing tools because of the amount of listings they have. But a quick mm -hmm. hack you can do is just duplicate your listing until you have six listings and then just remove everything except one. And then mm -hmm. that'll give you access to the tools within Airbnb to do that. And then like yeah, if you absolutely. use a property management, uh, if you use PMS tools, channel managers, like for example, like your porter, you can apply those same rules to cross-platform, to my knowledge. You can apply the same pricing logic, incentivized pricing to your own direct booking website. You can apply it to like HomeAway, whatever yeah. your porter is uh, integrated with, you can apply that same logic. But yeah, we do incentivized pricing, which is essentially discounting depending on the length of stay. And the reason we do that is because we don't necessarily, we want to maximize our location, not necessarily location, but we want to maximize where we are with regards to the SEO of Airbnb. I don't necessarily want myself to be invisible through any searching on Airbnb, because if I say, oh, there's a two day minimum. Well, now, you know, the people who are doing one day stays won't see my listing. I don't necessarily want one day stays. So what you, that's why I said you have a high base price, right? To disincentivize those super short term bookings. Mm. But you want the visibility because it helps with search ranking, because if gotcha. someone clicks on the listing, the more views you have usually. And they change their algorithm all of the time, right? So whoever's right. listening, like, this might be different next year. But as of now, what I'm seeing is the more views your listing has and the more bookings your listing has, the better it ranks in your particular city. That's what I'm seeing. So it could change next year. They, they could completely change the algorithm. The algorithm is a black box. Um, <laughs> they, of course, they want the information to get out because if everyone knows specifically how it works and everyone's going to try to game it. Right. This is what I'm personally seeing. Nice. Nice. How y'all look tracking events? So I know uh, events usually affect pricing. So what ways are you all tracking events in your area and things like that? So I recently discovered that Houston has something called, I think it's called 365thingstodo.com or something like that. It's like 365 stuff to do or 365 things to do or something like that. It's mm -hmm. essentially um, like a website slash like, uh, I guess there's social media not a social media platform, but they're on social media. It covers everything to do in your city. So like mm. whenever I see them post things, like I try to look at the attention that they're getting. And then there's just some things that people always talk about, right? Like the yeah. rodeo in Houston. Mm -hmm. Um, There's conferences in Houston. Like we've had AKA stay in our units because they would come to Houston for a conference. Yeah. Um, there's stuff to do in Houston. So I would say try to look at social media, like the biggest social media outlets in your particular city. And then look for those websites that are constantly the biggest websites that are publishing activities to do in your particular city. And then like kind of try to take stock and see like what are people talking about the most when it comes up? Because like, for example, like Houston has a kite festival, but like I've never yeah. heard anyone say, oh, I'm in town for the kite festival. Um, gotcha. I, I would say look at social media, try to find specialized websites that have things that people do and then like take stock with your guests to see like what your guests are in town for. And you should be doing that anyway to build a relationship, to build your own brand. But like the more guests you meet, the more patterns you can identify during specific times of the year. And then like when you have that data, 
you can start doing really interesting things such as like figuring out, okay, most people are in town for this, but a lot of people will do what I said previously as a rule of thumb. I don't really know too many people who like are making like data driven decisions. And you know, my background is software too. I don't know too many people who are making like data driven decisions based off of like, Oh, 60% of my guests say they they came to town during this date range for this activity. A lot of people are really just going off of rules of thumb and what they're seeing. Yeah, Jim. Nice. And then another tidbit that I could add is also, if you know anybody that's big on social media or mm-hmm. if you know any promoters, definitely mm-hmm. just reach out to them and just see like one of the biggest times that people come to your given area. Like, for, you know, that the stockyards are big in Fort Worth. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's a time period of where you want to focus, you know, your efforts on. Gotcha. Thank you. Appreciate that. Can we talk a little bit about rental arbitrage? Do it. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to. Yeah, I want to know kind of what your uh, introductions are, how you build relationships with those these property managers and uh, homeowners. You want to drive that, Josh, or you, or you want me to get it? Take it away. I got a long spiel for this, but I'll try to be as like straight to the point, as factual as possible when it comes to rental arbitrage. Okay. So for the listeners, for those of you who are uh, new to this, like uh, rental arbitrage has become a uh, popular term used in the short-term rental space. It essentially just boils down to renting out someone's unit via like an LLC or via some form of a lease to a business or in some cases to an individual. It really depends on the lease terms. And then you then like list the property on various platforms, including your own platform, and uh, you make a profit. So the arbitrage aspect is like your uh, revenue minus the rents and expenses you're paying. And then that's what you're essentially taking home. And so like a lot of people who are arbitraging don't necessarily own these properties that they're renting out. Hence the term arbitrage. They're taking something that someone else has and they're listing it on various platforms for either short-term leases or long-term leases for profit. So with that being said, most people will develop relationships with property managers, or in some cases, they'll approach property managers and sell the idea of uh, rental arbitrage to them. Less the idea of rental arbitrage and more the idea of working with this business. That's my understanding of it. And so how we got started was essentially like, this is basically our introduction to short-term rentals in general, right? At some point, Josh and I both lived in Seattle. We had a friend who was doing rental arbitrage and the guy's a genius. Like he was doing this in 2016 before people even knew what it was. Oh, wow. And to my knowledge, Kwame wasn't seeing anyone do it. He thought of it himself. Like he, Mm. I think Kwame was just renting Airbnbs and he was like, wait, why don't I just do this with other people's stuff? So like mm. props to him because he didn't see anyone doing it. Yeah. But for us, like we saw what he was doing and to make things short, we brought that to New Jersey. And then like, because of our jobs, we both moved to uh, Texas, but we were really determined to get this thing going. So what we did was we contacted tons of people on different websites, Craigslist, uh, Zillow, like Facebook. We did everything under the sun, right? Like emails, cold calls that went to like voicemail. And then uh, Joss eventually found a landlord who had a condo who was interested in working with us. And what really resonated with him was that Josh was the EIT. They were both engineers, so they clicked. Um, mm. So Josh, Josh essentially like sold the company, but more importantly, Josh sold himself. And so that's mm. really what got our foot in the door. Um, and so we didn't start with property management companies. We actually got denied from most property management companies for reasons that I'll talk about uh, later. We reached out to people on various websites, cold calling, and then like we essentially told them what we were doing. We sold ourselves to them. They wanted to work with us. And so like when it came to signing the lease, we just removed the sublet clause from the lease. 
Um, and then we were able to list the property on like different websites for marketing purposes. And then we attracted various tenants. It was a two bedroom, two bathroom. So that's how we got started. Later, what happened was we would approach the bigger property management companies next, but mm -hmm. we got denied because like for various reasons, right? Oh, the age of your business, oh, business credit, pretty much mm -hmm. any reason under the sun that they could use to disqualify our business. That's what was happening until eventually, like we actually signed a lease thinking it was a corporate lease and it actually wasn't a corporate lease. Um, mm -hmm. And so like, long story short, we had to get out of that lease. This was when we were in Houston, like we had one in Dallas and now we were working in Houston. Like mm -hmm. you can ask Josh, like I had got so frustrated, like I wasn't taking no for an answer anymore. So <laughs> I hit up my realtor and here's another thing too. You can work with realtors and you can tell realtors what you're looking for. You're looking, you know, you're a corporate housing company. You're looking for properties that allow short-term rentals, properties that allow corporate housing and have the realtor do the work, right? That goes back mm -hmm. to what I was saying about managing the managers. So you kind of see how it fits into our system. So yeah. he's looking for properties and all he's doing is just sending me the list and then we're going there. And so eventually like my realtor found me a property that did allow corporate housing. But here's the catch though. We got denied when we applied because of what I said about business credit, the age of the mm -hmm. business. And to this day, I still don't know how it happened. I went there after we got denied and I just asked, I was like, Hey, like, this is what our business does. Like, this is what we do. Like, we understand, like we got denied because of X, Y, Z reason, but could you please ask your owners if they would mm -hmm. still consider us because we're looking to pick up several properties and we're looking to scale and we're looking to have a big impact. Mm. We had to wait a week. Wow. By the end of the week, they said yes. Wow. So we got denied because of business credit, but by the end of the week, just because we went there, we were hungry and we asked, and I guess the owners were in a good mood or something. Yeah. <laughs> maybe they needed, or maybe they needed the money. I don't know. That's not yeah. the point. That's not the point. They said yes. And so yeah. that's how we got our first one with the property, with like an actual big property management company. And then like months later, we got two more there. Like I said, when we were doing the mic check, we literally just got a 43 day booking at that particular unit. So things have been going good there. Definitely. I could talk about that all day because like running that particular property with that particular management company has been a challenge, not in a bad way, but in a good way. And it's made us, right. but it's made us better across the business though. But that's how we got into it for the business credit aspect. There's Dun & Bradstreet, which is basically one of the credit bureaus for business. They have something called a Paydex score. To get the Paydex score, you need trade lines and trade references from uh, businesses to get the trade lines. You can look on like the MyFICO forums. So there's tons of different vendors you can connect with, you can apply for, which will give you like uh, lines of credit for your business. Also business credit cards that report to Dun & Bradstreet, like the people in MyFICO will tell you. Just some quick ones off of the top though. There's Quill, there's Crown Office Supplies, uh, Staples, Office Depot, um, and pretty much the major gas stations all have business credit cards that report to Dun & Bradstreet. So right. Valero, Exxon, BP, Shell, also Texaco, but Texaco is owned by Chevron. Um, <laughs> so they have credit cards and business lines of, and uh, lines of credit, which will report to Dun & Bradstreet. Each one has like mad arbitrary re reporting requirements. So like, for example, I think Quill is like three transactions and like it has to be over like $90 or something like that. It, they change it a lot. But um, also Wells Fargo has a business secured credit card, but I have mixed feelings and my reservations about Wells Fargo. But uh, yeah. Wells Fargo also has a... What's yeah, up? my business works for Wells Fargo and it's, it's just as a company, it's mixed feelings for sure. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's a bag of worms, man, to be completely yeah. honest. And like, <laughs> yeah. like, 
our, our experience with Wells Fargo. Like Wells Fargo helped us get our foot in the door, but outside of that, mm-hmm. like, we haven't had good good dealings with them. Let's just say keep it at that. So we spoke a little bit about business credit, um, how to get your Dun & Bradstreet uh, paydex score up. And then like for Experian and I believe um, Equifax as well, you can use the Chase Business Inc. You're going to have to use your personal credit. So make sure your personal credit is good, but they do report to uh, Experian to my knowledge. There's also Bank of America as well. Bank of America is really good. And then mm-hmm. there's U.S. Bank as well. And then you can also look at the MyFICO forms, like I said. It's a basically a forum where like people will you know talk about who they're speaking to, who they're getting their business credit from. Like it's yeah. a community where people are collaborating to build business credit. It's a really good uh, resource right. that, I, that I looked at as well. So that's the business credit aspect. And then like there's the age of your business as well. Like a lot of times people say, oh, your business needs to be two years old. So just make sure your business is two years old. And depending on some circumstances, like they also mean your bank account as well. So make sure you have a bank account that's two years old. Um, for the trade references, a hack is just have your friends who own businesses list you as trade references. That's a hack. And then also, this is kind of a difficult hack, but for the two years thing, you could probably partner with somebody whose business is two years old, and then y'all can do a deal together. Josh and I did that when it came to scaling our units. We partnered with somebody who was bigger than us. We split a deal down the middle. Um gotcha. In Houston, so we were able to get a discount on uh, rental properties for arbitrage because we involved more parties, which allowed us to get more units, which gave us more leverage on the negotiating table to get lower gotcha. rent under market. There's our spiel, my spiel from, you know, basically how we got started to how we got into rental arbitrage with like the property managers to uh, what we needed to do that. And then how we got denied, but we we're able to turn that into a yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, did I answer your question fully or is there anything I missed? Oh, yeah. You definitely answered my question fully. I'd love to talk about that business credit a little bit more. Just like, so you listed like a, a lot of those different things. Are you more focused on the Dun & Bradstreet or on trying to get the experience or like all of them across all the board? For us, it's an ongoing thing. Like it's never something that's going to end. It's like your personal credit, right? Like you don't just, mm-hmm. personal credit is constantly going to change. It's basically the same thing. Like it's an ongoing thing. But I will say that like from an arbitrage standpoint, it depends mm-hmm. on the property management company you're going for. Honestly, it should just be good across the board because different management companies have different requirements. So it's really, you got to be on point across the board. Like Josh says, like, you always got to be ready. Um, So for yeah. us, it's, you just have to be ready, period. It's not, oh, we're going to focus on experience this time or we're going to focus on Dunn & Bradstreet. It all has to be yeah. good. Gotcha. So you, do have, like, so you do have all of them. Yeah, we have Dun & Bradstreet, we have Experian, we have uh, Equifax. But like your credit is going to be, to my knowledge, and again, like mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not a credit expert or a credit right. genius whatsoever, but I'm just telling you what I've experienced. If you're picking up units and you're using like credit cards and stuff, your score is going to drop usually because like you're starting a new project, but the quicker you pay the card off, the better it looks. Like, for example, you don't want to get a $5,000 credit card and then like you max out the credit card and then it takes you two to three years to pay it off. And this information is from me speaking with my relationship manager. So if this information is yeah. bad, I guess my relationship manager is bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, no, seriously though. Yeah. But what we know after speaking with our relationship manager is that like it looks bad when you have a lot of debt on certain types of credit products over a certain period of time. Like a term loan, okay, that's fine. Like you can have that. No, it's not necessarily bad on a term loan because like you're making the payments. 
like a term loan is expected to be paid off. That's what it's for. So it counts less when it comes to your credit. But like when it comes to like revolving credit, like a credit card or a business line of uh, credit, my understanding is that those things are meant to be paid off quickly. They're meant to get you capital quickly so you can launch new projects. And then those new projects are expected to quickly pay down the capital. That's my understanding with uh, that when it comes to business credit. So it's an ongoing thing. And your credit has to be managed according to the projects that you're getting yourself into based off of gotcha. my understanding. Gotcha. Yeah, that's pretty good. It's real good. We can take this opportunity to talk about your listing because we've definitely covered a lot. So we know what cleaning service you're using, but like, are you using a PMS pricing software? Like, are you upselling anything? Like, I'd really love to have a conversation about upselling. Yeah, so I'm not upselling anything right now. We can definitely talk about that. Yeah, man. So I think Josh is doing this too. You can upsell like if you have like pool table, foosball or anything like that, like those little things, you can upsell the guests. Some people, some people rent them to guests. Some people just do a flat fee. You got to really experiment with it. Some people are renting like, so I think Josh, you said you bought a PlayStation or you bought like a foosball table or something like that. You're upselling that to the guests and you're having someone, um, leave the stuff there for the uh, table or the game before the guest arrives. So like you're probably getting that information right when the guest makes a reservation. And then as your uh, housekeeping manager has someone there cleaning, you're just telling the cleaner to or the housekeeper to, hey, just set this out for the guests prior to their arrival. So I think Josh is up selling games. Some people are doing pet fees. Um, it's very right. common in corporate housing to do pet fees. Some people are against mm-hmm. it, but I've seen it pet fees or at least a pet deposit be used in an industry. I've, I've seen that. That's the most common thing I'm seeing. Some people are doing early checkout or late check-in, but that's a mixed bag because on one end, I'm seeing like a lot of the hosts who are trying to provide like quality similar to a five-star hotel, just not charge for the early check-in or late checkout. You know, they want that to be part of the five-star experience. And then I'm seeing mm-hmm. some people are charging early check-in or late checkout for anything from like 10 to $20. I'm seeing that happen as well. We experiment with it on my personal dwelling. I don't charge. I don't charge for it. I know some people who do, and some people have been very uh, successful with it. I think a a friend of mine has like 35 or 45 properties. I'm not really remembering right now, but he's charging early check and late checkout on his website uh, for his direct bookings. And he's just doing $20 and he's doing it on his higher end properties as well, because his justification is that like people are willing to pay that on an already expensive property because like their time is more valuable there. That was his justification. And then another thing I'm seeing people upsell are, why is this slipping my mind? We spoke about pet fees. This isn't necessarily an upsell, but it's just more of a like income stream diversification. People are listing their properties on peer space. I think you should list your house on peer space. Your house would definitely be good for photography some kind of like backyard event. I definitely think you could do some damage on peer space. The most difficult thing is just managing the calendar, but I'm looking at some hacky ways to have the calendars be synced between uh, short-term rental websites and peer space. And um, when I find that solution out, or if my experiments like are fruitful, I'll definitely share that with you. Like definitely, right. like if you could get on peer space, man, do that. Um, we're listing our units on peer space. Like I said, we want to diversify the income stream, right? Like we don't just want Airbnb. We want different websites. Like we want direct bookings. Like we want to attract as many different streams of income to the property as possible. And that's because the game is changing. It's not what it used to be. Like it's getting more competitive. Mm -hmm. Regulations are changing everything. 
especially rental arbitrage, right? Like as more people come in and more people are inexperienced, like it's going to become more difficult to build relationships with like property managers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, So yeah, like look at peer space, look at renting things out. One thing you can do to get more bookings and in turn leads to get more money and in turn get more money is like, dude, man, like consider allowing children in your your property and then provide amenities for the children. We had a unit, like this unit, it was actually the first unit that I told you that we got when um, we got declined from that uh, particular property management company. Like when we got denied from mm-hmm. the place, this was the first unit we got there. And like, it wasn't even making that much uh, money, to be honest. But what we did was like, we switched out the furniture. So we had guests completely trash the place. And we got like $756 in claims from Airbnb after weeks of waiting. We took that money and we used it to one, like one, we cleaned the carpet. We got the place repainted. And then we replaced the futon, which was broken with a brand new sleeper sofa. And then like, I accidentally bought an extra one because like it looked big in the picture, but like in person, it was super small. So I just had this one there and I like, I just didn't have time to return it. So we, we put more furniture in there. We put better looking furniture. And then we also had professional photography taken in that place because when I got it, I had just, I used to do photography. I just took Mm -hmm. it on my camera, but like, because we had like gotten new furniture and switched things out over time, we just never got to updating the the pictures. But one thing we also did was we bought kid amenities. Like we bought the Graco pack and play. Like we bought the little baby swing seat with the toys on it. I don't remember what it's called. And there's options in the amenities list for you to have Mm -hmm. that stuff. So like you can check that stuff out. And like I said, like now you're opening yourself to a different demographic, right? So yeah. like because you're opening yourself to a different demographic, more people are going to look at your listing and turn your listing is going to rank higher because now it's getting more attention. And usually like the professional photos, like I said, like if it's not in the photos, it doesn't exist. But like now it's yeah. in the photos. And so because it's in the photos, people are seeing that you're tracking different demographic and you're getting more bookings now. And like that on top of like the pets has like always, that place is literally like, since we did that, like it's always been booked with like longer term stays. Like it's always been booked with longer term stays and it's commanded a higher rate. And like now, because like we're getting a higher rate, like we can entertain discounts for longer stays and like still hit our target. So like I gave a nurse 10% discount and like it's a one bedroom. We're getting 2,200 a month on it right now. I can show you the screenshot. Like we just got 2,200 a month for that particular one bedroom. So in short, professional photography, expand the services you offer on the listing. um, And then like, look at those hit amenities and then vet your guests too, right? Because vet your guests. And then, like I said, combine that with the incentivized pricing. So when I say vet your guests, like don't just allow someone a book who just gives you like a one-liner on why they're staying in your property. Like that's usually like one of the biggest red flags because like if they don't have time to even say like why they're coming to your place, that's a problem. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's a red flag, man. If you do the due diligence with guests and then do everything that I just said with regards to expanding the amenities, getting on more like sites and like in diversifying the income and that should help out a lot. And then like one thing we're experimenting with now is like we're partnering with like Turo hosts, right? Like, because like we want to give them value. Yeah. I just got a partnership with like a luxury, literally the top ranking Turo host in Houston. We just got a partnership with him. So like now I have permission to recommend his luxury cars and list his luxury cars like in my listing description. And then I can forward my guests to him. Like it's part of like a our arrangement that we have. So now like when people book me, I can say, hey, like we offer cars 
And if you're interested in renting one of the cars we have, I'm talking like Mercedes, like Porsches, okay. like BMWs, um, Maseratis. Okay. Like I can say, hey, man, if you're interested, like look at um, check this link out. Like we're partnering with them. Tell them we sent you. That's something that we can do. And then like I got a little bit more um, business that I want to do with him in the future. Like I want to put him onto some things then down the road. And if those things come to fruition, I'll definitely talk about it on a podcast. But that's something you could do, man. And then like yeah. finally, man, like get on, look at Thumbtack. There's tons of services on Thumbtack, like dog walking, mm. like massages, like massages are big. Dog walking, personal chefs. It's, bro, it's a house, man. You got 11 yeah. people. <laughs> you got 11 people coming to the house, dude. Like I would say figure out a way to get that experiment with increasing the occupancy size. See if you could get it like 15, right? Because then if you get it to 15, that's more people there, like the personal chef becomes cheaper. So what you can do is like either have your co-host do it or get a virtual assistant, like upsell the personal chef on the bigger property. Because yeah. if you got 15 people, they can afford, they might be able to, I don't know how much the personal chef costs. I don't remember right now, but like, look how much a personal chef costs, add like your service fee to it. And then like, you know, have the guests pay you through whatever platform is allowable within the terms of service and then like you know you pay you pay the difference to the the personal chef and then like whatever that difference is right so if the chef is 100 like you maybe charge like 125 okay you just made an extra 25 on the booking oh on top of that you just rent it out like the pool table or whatever you have okay that's fit that's an extra 50 and it adds up over the course of a month because now like you're getting more you're figuring out ways to offer more and more uh just value man yeah that's really good that's really good Gems right there. Gems, gems for sure. <laughs> I know the one-liners um, is one thing, but what's uh, some things that uh, you did? One-liners, bad reviews. In a post-COVID world, like uh, travel has changed. So in Houston, we're seeing lots of local guests. Mm. If for whatever reason you make a mistake on your calendar and a local guest books, like it's a one-liner or like they don't have a reviews, like call them. Call them or have someone on your team call them. And like, just have a conversation with the person, see what they're about, let them know subliminally that like, you know, you're available if you need anything. Like, for example, like we had someone book a unit that we just launched. I called them and like, you know, I let them know, yeah, I'm in, I'm actually in the building right now, setting up another property. So if you need anything, just let me know. Mm-hmm. Kind of just like, you know, respectfully put yourself out there and just let them know like you're in the area just in case anything happens. And so like what that does is it, it lets them know like, hey, like if I plan on doing anything, like mischievous, like I'm going to have a difficult time getting away with it. And then like one other thing we do is like, we just ask them to confirm that they've read the rules of the listing. Mm. Like I just text them that. And like, literally like we'll have people withdraw because they'll read our rules and they'll realize Mm -hmm. we're not playing. Yeah. Like like we're not, like we're not, like we're not playing. How do you do that too? What's up? Yeah. So let's say you call someone and it's a bad booking. How do you cancel that? Or what, you know, cancel policy do you have and things like that? So if it's a request to book, you can just deny. I think you have like three. Don't quote me on this. Have to, and again, Josh, like you can add on to this, but you're just going to have to do the best you can to like stay on top of them. Um, but if they do like break your rules, you can get that evidence. You can send it to Airbnb and let them know, hey, like the guest has done X, Y, Z, or hey, they're having a party or something. You cancel that reservation and you got to get someone there to get them off the property. You know, yeah. whether it's you go there and this is why I say like smart locks, right? Like change the code. The reservation is ended. Now they're trespassing. Mm-hmm. So like what I'm currently working on is and building a relationship with the security at the property that we're at. And mm-hmm. because of things that have gone on, 
for various reasons in the area, like the building has 24 seven, like gate security. So like you can't even get in unless you have like the tag. And if you don't have the tag, security is going to take your license plate number. And then they're going to look at your driver's license to see like, yo, who's coming in. So what Mm -hmm. we're doing or, and what I'm working on is I'm building a relationship with security. And I'm like, Hey man, like, this is what I do. Like, you know, I run this business. We have this many properties in here. And like, we're interested in like main, and I believe we have a mutual interest in, you know, maintaining the integrity of uh, the community here. And like, you know, Mm -hmm. I would love if you could help us out, you know, whenever the time comes, because sometimes, you know, we may have people who violate the rules of the community or violate like, you know, the rules of our business and like the reservations terminated and we need assistance in removing them from the uh, property. So I'm one thing I'm doing is I'm trying to partner. I'm looking at a partner with security in my building to assist in removing those people. So it might be like, they might do it for free. They might do it for like, I might have to slip them a 50, you know what I mean? But like, we got to have that. Those are the opportunities that you got to look out for. Yeah. It, it, maybe some HOAs have like patrol. So, you know, Maybe you could link up with tapping with patrol, build a relationship with somebody in patrol and see what they could do. In some cases, that might be included in a handyman contract. Like you might tip your handyman something to do that. Or you might have to do it if you're a brand new operator. But like mm-hmm. it really boils down to if people slip the cracks. Like you have to get evidence that the rules are being broken. You need to go on whatever particular OTA or platform you're on to have that reservation canceled and show them evidence to have it canceled on the guest's behalf, not on your behalf. And then you got to get your team yeah. in there. You have to get the person out of there. And like, mm-hmm. there's ongoing debates with that, right? A lot of people, a lot of local law enforcement won't do anything because they'll be like, it's a civil matter. And like, well, the argument is if we're paying hotel occupancy taxes, why aren't we entitled to the same protections as hotels when it comes to that? Yeah. So, you know, yeah. that's, a on, that's an ongoing debate when it comes to that stuff. That's why I say, you know, try to work with security, try to work with patrol, try to, you know, you might have to do it yourself, tip your handyman, just look for opportunities to help with that and then see what you could do. Have there been guests that we have had that I need to like remove? Almost. So, well, but yes. Yes, but there's two situations. So the first situation is the person was ignoring my messages and the person checked into the property because at this particular property, all guests need to basically complete the equivalent of a background check form, provide their ID, et cetera. He didn't fill out the form, so I went there myself. Mm. you're just not about to do that to me like it's not happening right so i went there myself i knocked on the door and we spoke and like within 30 minutes he signed it and everything was all good but if he didn't sign in i was going to terminate his reservation um gotcha the second time was the person checked in and they were uncomfortable with the place for various reasons and we spoke on the phone and i told her okay call her and be me and cancel your reservation um okay. and so she canceled the reservation and at that point if she didn't i would have gotten the reservation canceled Anyway, just because like, okay, she's clearly uncomfortable with the reservation and she's being extremely aggressive, passive aggressive, aggressive, whatever you want to say on the phone. And so now it's like, Mm -hmm. I'm put in a position where like, I don't know what she's going to do to that property. Mm -hmm. Right. But I know history says it's probably not going to be good. Right. (laughs) And so, you know, I have to make sure that the community is all good. The community in that particular building is safe, right? Because like this Mm -hmm. could potentially pose a hazard to the neighbors. The things in the place could get damaged. There's a multitude of things that could happen. Yeah. I hope that answered your question. And then like also no, like, reach out to like reach out to different hosts. Like the game changes mm-hmm. all the time. Like what we used to get money for in claims on Airbnb and other platforms, mm-hmm. like changes every single time they change the terms of service and they force you to accept it if you want to keep using the platform. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
What are your That's future good. plans? Uh, with the property, I'm dabbling between long term, um, either doing getting travel nurses or like uh, people from hospitals um, who come in like, you know, for surgeries and stuff like that. Or people that have to like relocate um, in case if their house is burned down or things or that sort of like people that just can't stay in their house at the moment. Um, right. That's what I'm dabbling with right now for that. But I'm also looking um, to arbitrage a couple properties in the Dallas area. Right. You know what I bet? There has to be some kind of like Facebook group or something for like people who are just affected by natural disasters and are looking for a place. Mm-hmm. To stay. Like I haven't seen one yet. Well, yeah, it's a company. I forgot the location of it, but it's a, a family owned, basically a mom and pop business. And what they do is they provide housing for those who were affected by some type of natural disaster. I'll have to send you guys the link of it, but it's a very profitable business as well. Yeah, we got to get on Google and like we got to find these people. We got to call them. But yeah. dude, like the fact that you have a house provides you like such an amazing opportunity to get into that because like. A lot of families yeah. don't want to get into a one-bedroom apartment at, or in some cases, even a two-bedroom apartment after they just, you know, was living in a four-bedroom or a three-bedroom house. Um, So, right. like, you're in a good position to get that market. And you got to think, like, insurance is paying top dollar. I could tell you about our other one-bedroom. Our other one-bedroom was on the second floor of the apartment, and you had to take the stairs, dude. Like, we had people complain about the stairs. Like, like we had people complain about it was next to a bar, man. So, like, if you want to talk about beginner mistakes, like, hit me up. It was, you had to walk upstairs, and it was next to a bar. To fix the problem, we had to, like, set the expectation that guests knew that they had to walk up one flight of stairs, and then that we Mm -hmm. also put a white noise machine in in the property. But long story short, we fixed the problem, and guests haven't complained since because of the white noise machine, and then inadvertently because of COVID, like, the bar can't have all the people in there no more. Right. But uh, the reason I say that is because like we had an old couple stay with us because of insurance and like the insurance company paid 3,200 for a month. Oh, wow. In a one bedroom, one bathroom, it was literally more than double whatever rent was for the property. They paid somewhere around 3,200. Like if if you can figure out how to tap in, if you can find a a solid list of like lead generators or lead magnets for Mm -hmm. that particular demographic, like the fact that you have a house is going to help too. This is like a year or two ago. I was speaking with a dude who had like six houses all next to each other. This dude was hacking like crazy. This dude had internet at one property and then he was beaming the internet to the five other houses because the houses were in line of sight of each other to like basically oh, wow. like reduce his <laughs> internet costs. I, some kind of like satellite thing on his house and it could directly beam like the internet, like the wow. radio frequency or something. I forget what the word is called. There's a word for that kind of internet. Yeah, But that's not the point. Like he was housing insurance people because what he was doing was he was getting the ring app. He was going on the neighborhood portion of the ring app where you see what's going on in your neighborhood. He works full time on his business. So he can do this. Anytime there was Mm -hmm. a fire in a ring app, he pulled up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He pulled up. Oh, wow. Yeah, he pulled up. Yeah, he just pulled up and let him know, like, listen, man, I work with insurance like. Y'all won't have to pay anything. Just send me your insurance information, whoever. Send me your insurance uh, broker, whoever it is. Whoever the contact is, he'll work with the contact. So he was literally just pulling up there. He was chasing fires. Like, he was listening for the fire trucks. He was doing good, apparently. That might be something that you have to look into. You know, I don't recommend, shoot, his approach might be the way to go. But if there's a better way to do it, other than pulling up on someone whose house is burning down, you know, let me know. But yeah, that's what he was doing. And he's been very successful with it, apparently. Nice.
What's up, Josh? No, go ahead. I was going to say, do you have an exit strategy with the property? That's really my exit strategy. If obviously if that doesn't work, it will be selling, but I don't want to do that. Right, right. Yeah. Um, yep. For the yeah. nurses, have you considered like renting it out by the room to the nurses? I have considered it. It's still something I'm developing, but uh, I, the only thing about renting out for rooms, so there's a four bedroom, two bath for the one bedroom with the bathroom in it. It'll be good. But for those three, it becomes a little iffy because it's like three rooms sharing one bathroom. Right, so right. Work. If you charge in the right amount, it'll work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I, yeah. I try to do that on my place. I think the mm-hmm. biggest challenge was deciding, okay, let's say I found one person that I was going to do it for one room. Well, mm-hmm. I had to make sure that they were all from the recommendation I got. You should either do an all male or you should do an all women mm. and try to keep it that same level. And I think that was the challenge for me was the one that had the bedroom and bath was great, but then the guys didn't want to share the other three bedrooms and share that one bath. So mm. once I dropped the price and I was like, they were like, oh yeah, we'll take it. We'll take it. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. how you ever set up. Yeah. All male or all women for obvious reasons, right? Right. Right. I did have a question. When you first acquired the property, did you actually live mm-hmm. in it? And if you did live in it, did you have roommates? So I, I did live in it for a little bit. I did Airbnb in the rooms while I was living there. So I did do that. And that's where I started to kind of run into that uh, bathroom problem. But I did what you all are saying. I would do either all women or all males. So I, I basically depending on kind of like the booking schedule. So if like at this time there's like one woman in, a, in one of the rooms, then... I'll make sure that all the other rooms are were women. And then if it was like a, a male that books, then I'll make sure the other rooms was all women. It'll get iffy whenever it was couple. That's when it became iffy. I think that's the case. That's a no brainer at this point, at this stage in the game. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Earlier you had mentioned and we might have been talking about this offline, but you were talking about creating a business in various locations for like honeymoons, big ba- mm-hmm. like vacations and like mm-hmm. business trips like you tell us a little bit about yeah. that. Like, what does that look like for you? Like, what is your ideal plan for that? Or maybe even like, what does an ideal day look, an ideal day for you look like with those future plans, like being either done or like close to being done? Yeah. So I, I really, really want to work with like people that are getting married. So I know like usually, you know, people have budgets and they hire like photographers and they get venues and all that stuff. And I really want to like work with like, uh, wedding planners or like people that are, are like just the sites that help like with wedding planning and stuff like that. And I want to provide a service where I want to be included in the package or they pay me uh, a certain amount and we create like a experience for them. Uh, so I do want to have uh, multiple homes or multiple stays in different locations. And based off where that couple wants to go, I can set them up in that place based off the experience they want to have. I can customize it to make it look like that. Just building a team um, in various places and just being able to, as soon as I get, uh, they fill out either the form or whatever, we customize that for them. And then they just go and just have this great experience and they refer their friends and their friends refer friends and it just scales in that way. 
that's really something that's just a vision I've had for a while. I have a sister, when she got married, I just saw how much she spent on that. I saw how, like, how much she really wanted to, like, have, like, this ideal honeymoon, but, like, she just didn't feel like planning it. And then I've been around, like, other friends who have just, like, talked about just planning for the honeymoon, and I just felt like it's just a problem that people have that's just, it's a solution that I could provide. So that's my plans in the long term. So literally vacation in a box. (laughs) <laughs> but, yeah. but you're, leveraging your, you're leveraging your properties, but it's more than just like, oh, like, you know, here are my properties running around. Like you're turning your properties into an experience, essentially. Like the exactly. vacation is the experience and your properties are part of it. Like exactly. it's possible. Let me tell you, it, it is possible because like I've recently I had a discussion with uh, one of my friends. He's in two cities, mm-hmm. either it's either one major city in North Carolina by the border. And then there's another mm-hmm. city in South Carolina. And like he has an experience where you get to stay in one of his properties in one city in North Carolina, and then you get to stay in another one of his properties in another city in uh, South Carolina. I don't remember the cities right now, but the experience is you get to stay in those two properties, and for 48 hours, you have a private driver. Oh, wow. Nice. Right. And and so, (laughs) yeah, because he just lived there. He just know people travel in between those cities a lot. That's the experience. So you get to stay in, I don't know, maybe like somewhere in North Carolina, and then like, okay, like he knew that for some reason, a lot of people in this city usually travel to that city over there for whatever reason. It's like, okay, you get to stay here. You get to drive wherever you want for 48 hours. And then you get to stay. And then finally you get to stay in this other city in uh, South Carolina. It worked. Like he was able to charge more for both of his properties. Nice. And then he's, like I said, he's doing what I told you before, right? He's upselling that driver. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah. you know, the driver's getting a cut and then like, you know, he's upselling the driver on top of that. And so now it's like he's leveraged his houses and he's turned them into more than houses. Like now this is an experience. And I always tell people like the guests stay is, doesn't necessarily start when they walk in your house. Your guests stay starts the moment they get off that plane. Exactly. Yeah. So like, how can you provide as yeah. much value as possible with the time that you have? Like we're not in the business of selling properties or selling like you know, short-term rentals, like we literally sell time to people. So we got to figure out how do we provide the most value to someone's time and, and experiences is when you have an experience mindset, like you can provide way more value than if you have a short-term rental mindset. Exactly. Yeah. Also, That's- I just want to touch mm-hmm. on, because being that I'm from Raleigh, North Carolina, probably what's happening is I've noticed a lot of people, what they'll do is they'll work out of South Carolina, specifically in areas like Greenville, and then they will commute back to North Carolina. Mm-hmm. The same can be applicable for vacation. And some people will stay in North Carolina, whatever part of the city they're in, and then they'll go to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, spend the day out there or two, and then come back to stay in North Carolina. So there's definitely a reason for the madness, and your friend is definitely taking advantage of that opportunity. It's Alvin. You know Alvin Cavalier? No, I do not. Alvin put me onto that. Nice. Hey, couldn't the same thing could be done in between Dallas and Houston? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we, I could probably, we could probably do that. <laughs> Dallas, Houston, Houston, Austin. I definitely think it could be done between Houston and Austin because that's only two hours and 30 minutes. Dallas mm-hmm. and Houston, like, that might be able to get done too. Yeah. I definitely think you could do something like that. Shoot, that might have to be the topic for the next podcast. Like, how can we make term <laughs> properties into experiences like we spoke about peer space but you know how can we leverage our portfolio in different ways 
to stay ahead of the market. And that has to be a conversation that has to be had as more people get into the space, as more people, as the game becomes more competitive. And that's the result of like the internet, the sheer fact that we got the internet now. All this information did not exist in 2016. And if it did, it was hard to find. That's what I'd be telling people. It, It was very rare for people to just scale quickly. Now, like anybody could scale quickly, but like what's becoming niche is like buying right. Who can get the property for the lowest price? Like anyone can get a property now. Like it's not that hard nowadays. All the information is out there and most of it is free. What's hard is getting the property at the right price. And then you got to be competitive with everybody else. Yeah. That's what's really hard now. Joel, is there any other questions that you have for us? Not at the moment. Um, Yeah, not at the moment. We definitely talked about a lot. Got a lot of my questions answered. So it's been great. Awesome, man. And honestly, yeah. you know, with you being the first episode, that's exactly what we want to hear is, you know, we yeah. want to have you as the host asking us the questions and how we can help provide feedback for you and vice mm-hmm. versa. You've definitely given us a lot of tips, especially that vacation, man. That's a, a big tip. Yeah. <laughs> <looking for> <laughs> yeah. 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 Definitely. If you can sell an experience for couples, like, I feel like that's one of the biggest travels, like that and business travel is probably like two of like the biggest things that people do when they're, you know, looking for short-term stays. So definitely can tap into those. I, think I mean, that might be a way to fix the problem with one bedrooms, honestly. Like one yeah. bedrooms are so easy to get into that it's super hard to profit on one bedrooms. Like now maybe couples don't want an entire house. Maybe they just want a one bedroom apartment to themselves, but how can you incorporate that one bedroom apartment into some type of experience? You know, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Now we just Houston, Dallas couples trip private driver something simple as that yeah we'll even give them an itinerary it's a plug and play itinerary it's not a strict itinerary it's just hey like these are the things you can do Mm -hmm. so joel where can the people reach out to you what platforms are you on yeah so they can definitely find me on instagram i am joeezy that's j-o-w-e-e-z-y and then yeah that's the main spot that they could find me and then from there i mean i post on instagram all the time so they can dm me ask me any questions give me inputs anything like that you know if anybody's like looking for a vacation they're like hey this is what i would like to see in a vacation go ahead and slide in my dms let me know nice nice yeah with that we're gonna wrap this episode thanks for joining everyone thank you thank you for having me appreciate it thank you thanks for joining us this week on the comfy living podcast Make sure you visit our website, ComfyLivings.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on Spotify and iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out.